Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Stan Rowe. He's the CEO of Next Biomedical. That's NXT Biomedical, a medical device incubator funded by Deerfield Capital, Johnson & Johnson, and Edward Life Sciences. Stan recently retired from Edward Life Sciences, where he was chief scientific officer since 2008 and also served as corporate vice president advanced technology. He joined in 2004 when Edwards acquired Percutaneous Valve Technologies, a company he helped to found in 99 and served as president and CEO. This company developed the first transcatheter aortic valve replacement, now growing in popularity. It's, it's fantastic to, to be speaking with one of the gentlemen that started that, that industry. Previously, Roe was a corporate vice president for Datascope and was the VP at J&J's Interventional Systems Division in Warren, New Jersey, responsible for the company's coronary stent development efforts. At JJIS and a related Cordis Corporation, Roe held a variety of positions with increasing levels of responsibility, including leading the company's business development, advanced technology, worldwide clinical research, and marketing groups. He's on the board of directors of many different companies. He's got, in my mind, a PhD in results in medical devices. And so with that, we're going to be diving into medical device innovation, venture funding, and all the things that you need to be thinking about from idea to conception to a company. So Ro, uh, Stan, a privilege to have you on and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you very much. I, um, I feel it's a real privilege to be here. So why did you decide to get into the healthcare sector? Well, when I was going uh, coming out of college, the premier jobs were really in the pharmaceutical sector. And that's where I started. I started, I spent six years in pharmaceuticals and um, enjoyed that, did um, sales, clinical research, but reached a point where I decided that Pharmaceuticals were very limited. All you can do is change the formulation and the route of administration, and there's just not much creativity to it. And that's when I left and went into the medical device business, where I thought the uh, the limitations are the uh, are physics. There's <laughs> only so much you can do in that device, mm -hmm. but it's limited only by physics. And so you have a lot of opportunity to be really creative and help patients in unique ways in the medical device industry. Yeah, I agree with you, Stan. And there's definitely been quite a change in the healthcare ecosystem within the last few years with the entry of digital therapeutics and digital health. This whole ecosystem has changed tremendously, you know, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the impact that's had on, on, on medical devices and overall, what you feel those shifts have, have meant to the industry? Well, I think certainly, I think diagnostics are going to be affected by big data and wearables in very significant ways. I think we're going to have more targeted earlier interventions 
I don't think the therapeutic side has changed quite as much by those. But I think the overall environment has changed in interesting ways. I mean, the, there's been a flight of venture capital, I think, away from that device and into more of the digital space where people get faster returns. I think the FDA environment's really turned around. They've been very collaborative. They still have very high standards, but you can speak with them, and they're collaborative in a way to help shepherd you through their requirements, and that's very positive. On the regulatory side in Europe, still yet to be determined. I think there's a lot of concerns about MDR and the effects in the medical device sector and how that's going to impact us. But it's going to obviously look a lot more like FDA, but I'm not sure it's going to be as collaborative as they try to figure out what these regulations really mean and how they're going to deploy and enforce them. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And so you're, you've done a lot of different leadership, executive level roles in, in, in med device, in your background, in your experience, Stan. And today you're working with a new firm. It's called Next NXT. Tell us a little bit more about the focus there and what you believe needs to be on the minds of health leaders in med device and in general. Sure. So, yeah, I really enjoyed my time at Edwards and very progressive, thoughtful company that was in a very steep growth curve, uh, mostly due to the transcatheter heart valve. But, you know, the efforts and thoughtfulness that went behind that were pretty remarkable. So a lot of fun there. But my stupid idea of retirement is um, <laughs> kind of going, <laughs> going back to that which I love the most which is that very early stage of development where you're ta- you know, taking a, a crazy idea and taking it through a feasibility process and prototyping and early testing and how do I get the first in man and does this physiology really work? And those are really complicated, interesting questions. I'm not so interested in iterative development. I'm not sure how much opportunity there is for mm-hmm. iterative development today in today's environment. But NXT, we have the privilege of being kind of pre-funded. I joke with people, Saul, and say, I screwed up. I raised the money first, and then we're <laughs> going to develop the products. Right? And that. so we do have the privilege of backing from Deerfield Capital, which is a great firm out of New York that focuses on healthcare, mm-hmm. and they manage about $10 billion there. And Johnson & Johnson was interested, and Edwards Life Sciences was interested. So we have all three of those um, really reputable groups behind us financially, and they're excited about what we're doing and where we're headed. Well, it certainly is is exciting. So c- congratulations on <laughs> raising the money first. <laughs> and then- <laughs> Thank you. It's half the battle. So you're working at, at NXT now. You're driving the business there. Tell us a little bit more about it and how you plan to make the companies that get built out of there improve outcomes and business model success. Sure. Well, I have the privilege to one of the key co-founders is a close friend of mine and a uh, very skilled 
cardiologist named Rob Schwartz up in uh, Minneapolis. And he spent at Minneapolis Heart for quite a number of years after being at Mayo Clinic. Pretty unique guy because he has a master's in um, electrical engineering and then went to medical school. So quite an engineering background. I have a lot of patents and Rob has a lot more. I think I have about 43 or so issued patents. Rob has about a hundred issued man and between our issued and pending patents yeah we have about 200 between Mm -hmm. the two of us so i I would just say we're fairly prolific when it comes to new concepts and ideas and we've invented quite a number of things together that's part of you know what's behind nxt and then i hired an amazing group of uh, early stage engineers that are very talented and are very comfortable in this early stage where it's critical to really understand the medicine and understand the pathology and the anatomy and understand how to do design of experiments. And so, you know, I went from having 800 biomedical engineers to having five, but they're really good and we really have a lot of fun doing this early work of taking these big therapeutic ideas and taking them through this early process. Now, one of the benefits we have, Saul, is that because we're pre-funded, we don't have to go out and tell people what we're doing. (laughs) So we we don't get very specific about the areas. Well, I mean, it's, it's good because when you're fundraising, you have to go shout to the world, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. And if it's a really good idea, you just invite a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. We have the privilege of keeping things pretty quiet until we're you know, ready to go to a big medical meeting and say, hey, look, you know, here's the first 20, 20 patients we've done. Right? Yeah. We'll be pretty far along. So I uh, appreciate what that funding means for us in terms of being able to keep things quiet and work our way through these early projects where, of course, there's a lot of failure and learning and iteration to get to the point where you have something that you feel is commercially viable. I'm looking at the um, at the picture of your team, Sharp Group. <laughs> Let's give them a <laughs> shout out. We got Glenn, Alex. Of course, you mentioned Dr. Robert Schwartz and Joe and Rob, and then there's you, Stan. So yeah, I mean, this is exciting, you know, and I'm looking at this picture thinking, wow, you know, they've assembled such a cool team. Like I could see this picture 10 years from now. Hey, you know, the innovative devices that have helped improve outcomes. Boom. This is where it started. You know, <laughs> the crew. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Uh, we just hired another person named Elliot who oh, okay. uh, All right. came from uh, Medtronic and, PhD in biomedical engineering from UCSD, really skilled guy, fits in really well with the other other team members. And everybody brings a slightly different skill set. And this is one of the key things in early stage development is you can't really afford to have a second class team or have a team that culturally doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. I really think that is so essential in this early stage that you you create an environment where the best argument wins. I learned a lot of that working with uh, my Israeli team in Israel when we started working on the transcatheter heart valve. We had to debate every issue 
extensively, and then we could make a decision. But until you debated it, you couldn't possibly make a decision. And it's a really good process. Everybody gets to contribute. Sometimes you see aspects you didn't see before, but to have that kind of healthy debate that's tough on the problems, not hard on the people, but focuses on the issues, and the best arguments should win. And if you have the right people there, you can really have a fulsome debate about what's the right way to go. Love it. And so, and just the way that the your business here sits in the overall process of that development life cycle, I think it's brilliant, you know, to have to have a, a skunk works sort of mechanism that companies can leverage outside of the traditional, let's acquire the things that we see are starting to work. Mm-hmm. Can you comment on that? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of other incubators out there that, that incubate ideas. Uh, the Foundry does that, and Shifamed does that, or two that I can think of, and they do it well. They do it really well. We're a little different in that we are pre-funded, and certainly the majority, everything we've done to date has started with kind of internal ideas. Now, what <laughs> what happens here, just like what happens has happened to me in the past, is you think you have a brilliant early idea that no one's ever thought of. Mm-hmm. That is, until you go into the patent literature and you find out, and well, somebody there. thought of this. They may not have <laughs> developed it, and they may not have had exactly the same idea. But there's enough overlap that we need to to reach out and include other people. And we've, we've run into that situation already. But it's fun to have the capability to bring in other people who have thought about things similarly. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that as well. And um, I do think this sits fairly uniquely in the ecosystem of med device in that our input are big, difficult therapeutic concepts and our output is startup companies mm-hmm. and we're set up that way and it's uh it's pretty unique we're funded for five years through these folks so mm-hmm. and the objective is to spin out five to eight startups over that period of time okay so five to eight total in the span yes. of five years okay what do you think and about that is that you guys feel good about it you think you're gonna you think you're going to totally blow it out of the water and do more? What are your thoughts? You have to I don't. I mean, I think that's incredibly ambitious if you think about it. I mean, I'd say at Edwards, it took us about 18 months to go from concept just through DV mm-hmm. through our design validation and verification before you could do a, even think about doing a first in man. And then you'd be no, another nine months before you do first in man. So if you think about in five years, spinning out five to eight companies is incredibly ambitious, but that's kind of what we are. We're we're incredibly ambitious. I love it. So we're, I would say we're kind of on track so far. Man, that's so exciting. Yeah. And it's about shooting high, thinking big, you know, there's, there's no fun in average. And I love what you said earlier. (laughs) You know, it's like, I agree. you, you can't afford to have a second class team. You can't afford to live a boring life of average. You got to do awesome stuff. So I got to give you kudos for that, Stan. Well, it's what makes life fun is um, swinging for the fences every time you're at bat. Mm -hmm. And so 
I know you guys, I mean, when did you start then? When was the official start date of the of NXT? We started uh, September 2018. Okay, so you're about a year in. That's right, that's right. And so in that year, Stan, what would you say is, is an example of results you've already created? So we've worked on um, three different projects. Mm-hmm. We and uh, investigated a good bit more. I mean, this is, a, again, a, a team of four to five people. Mm-hmm. We did something kind of unique in that we developed a really interesting new concept and we were able to test it clinically using off-the-shelf products. Hmm. So we've been able to go in and do first in human with, uh, it's not an optimal product, but with the Given the severity of the disease, the risk-benefit still made a lot of sense. And we've been able to help a number of patients in our early clinicals. Hmm. And so we've been in clinic already. We've uh, almost to a design freeze with our first product, looking to spin out that company, hopefully by Q1 or so. And our second project's about to, uh, I would say, we'll go into clinic. Um, again, close to Q1 for our second project and uh, working very actively on the third. So yeah, we got a lot going on. (laughs) I would say that's awesome. Congratulations on that. And as you and your team have gone at it, it's it's been a year. What would you say is a a setback that you've had that, that early on you've learned a lot and has created results for you because of what you learned? Well, I think uh, we frequently learn things in the, you know, I I would say the process of product development is Mm -hmm. a process of running into walls and trying to figure your way around it. And, you know, we've done that multiple times. You know, really, it's also a process of understanding patients. And one of the things I see that people do with good intentions, but it's, it's not the right thing, is when you go out and ask doctors marketing questions, doctors are really good at answering medical questions. They will have insights into patients and needs and procedures that you will never have because you haven't done it. Mm-hmm. But that frequently moves into questions about the market. Well, do you think, what's the opportunity for this and how many people will do it? I don't think doctors are good at answering marketing questions. You have to answer those yourselves. Yes. And, you know, one of the best examples of that, Saul, was when I, when I started PBT, the percutaneous valve company. Yeah. And I went in and talked to some of the top valve surgeons in the world. Not one of them thought it was a good idea. Is that right? They said, Percutaneous valves, uh, let's see, we treat all the patients. We have perfect outcomes. This is a stupid idea. You're going to kill people. It'll never work. It'll never be durable. It'll never perform as well as a surgical valve. You should just stop right now before you humiliate Hmm. yourself. (laughs) That was my very consistent feedback Uh from the top people in the world. You have no idea what you're doing. This is never going to work. That's really interesting. And so you were getting that feedback. What kind of reflection or, you know, like what went on in your mind, Stan, that said, you know what? I appreciate your feedback. 
but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, so I take the feedback seriously, but you have to take it in the vein of, well, let's get specific. What is it that you're really worried about? You say, we can't make it durable. Why can't we make it durable? Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. they don't really know. They just say, we have 30 years of experience with surgical valves, so of course it's never going to be as durable. But if we made it from the same materials, the same basic designs, why couldn't we? Right. Right? You, it was one thing after the other. You, you can't stent open aortic stenosis, which is what we're doing. We're taking this <clears throat> stented valve and we're stenting open aortic stenosis, whereas surgeons cut it out surgically. Well, you can't, you can't stent it open. We cut it out. It's a rock. Really? Why is that? Because when we put balloons into aortic stenosis, we can open it up. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we can't stent it open? So if you start peeling back their criticism and you see it as a problem to solve and proof that you have to develop, then it just becomes part of the problem that you're solving for. Yes. Rather than taking the overall criticism of saying, you should just quit now. Okay, I don't accept that. And maybe what it comes down to at some level, Saul, is that the best innovators have a little streak of nihilism in them. And I do, <laughs> right? Which says, um, we can do better. Yeah. What we have out there, well, it's okay, but we can really do better. I mean, why, why are we satisfied with this? We can do better. And, and so if you have that, that little bit of nihilistic, and I mean that in a positive way, not just sure, no, I get that. for the mm-hmm. sake of it. But you have to have a little bit of that contrarian streak to be a good innovator. And I think that as you listen to those kind of jaded comments with your own bit of skepticism, well, thank you. I understand your perspective. I understand you cut out this disease every day, but that doesn't mean I can't do it a different way. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, and I, you know, what's funny is I, I think about, I mean, you know, in the group that you've assembled along with yourself, you guys are problem solvers, thinkers, engineers, and a friend of mine, her dad is, uh, is an astrophysicist. And he recently said, Hey, Saul, check out my channel. Like I just started broadcasting my, my classes out there and it was so neat. Like I, I just sat in virtually in one of his classes and I just heard the arguments back and forth very healthy arguments by smart people. They're like trying to prove it with equations and stuff. I, I was totally lost, Stan. <laughs> but <laughs> but what I really enjoyed was the healthy back and forth that you're talking yes. about. Yes. Yeah, I think that's critical. I mean, it's critical internally and it's important externally because yeah. it helps you vet out the issues that you're going to see and to have those healthy debates with these positions where, I mean, you have to know what you're talking about, okay? You can't walk in and say, tell me about this disease. So it's incumbent upon us as developers in biomedical engineering to be really, really well-educated before you walk out. But, you know, one of my examples of that is, you know, I developed coronary stent technology. I knew a lot about stents and delivery systems and those things when we started developing a percutaneous heart valve, which was very helpful. But I didn't know anything about valvular heart disease, at least not nearly enough to ask even intelligent questions. So of course I, you know, I went to these meetings and started attending the valve sessions. But the other thing I did that was really helpful to me is I went and bought 
one of the fellow's textbooks in cardiothoracic surgery. And I just sat down and read the thing. It was torture. <laughs> uh, but it was very helpful because, I mean, you get through I, the I whole thing. Not only, yeah, I did. Wow. And I think what you have to do is you have to dedicate yourself to really understanding this area that you're walking into. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that means the history of it. Yeah. Because that is the way that clinicians see the world is through the history of their their subspecialties. Super interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a really great great point to make and 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 so thinking through your the way that you've done things and now you're a year in, maybe you want to share one of your proudest moments from <laughs> NXT or or maybe you want to share it from your career in general. Sure. I guess one of the most impactful things for me is I remember going to visit Alain Cribier, who was absolutely instrumental to us in developing the transcatheter valve. Amazing partner. He was the chief mm-hmm. of cardiology in Rouen, France. And I went to visit him after we'd done a few, you know, several of the first in human studies, and I was going to give him an update and walk through some of the things we were doing, but, you know, a personal visit to Rouen. And I'd been meeting with him, and um, it just so happens that one of the early patients had come back for their one-year, six-month or one-year follow-ups. And she heard that I was there uh-huh. in the hospital. And she tracked me down and in her broken French English said to me, thank you for saving my life. Hmm. And it's one of those things we all aspire to do in biomedical engineering. Yes. It's why we do what we do. It's why we went into this field. And when it happens to you, it's incredibly rewarding to know that you really are impacting the lives of patients. So you know, that's, that's what we lived for. We had the pictures of patients on the walls in our office, and hmm. it was very fulfilling to hear, hear that from a patient and to know that we had really fundamentally changed her life. What a great story. Did you take her picture? <laughs> I do have her picture, yes. Nice. Yeah, that's so great. I love I that. Received a Chris, I received a Christmas, Christmas card from her daughter even after her death years later. Wow. Because, you know, Amazing. every patient we save, we impact the whole family. Oh, for sure. And we don't always think about that, but it was a reminder to me how important it was to their family that you know, she told me she had gone down to the south of France with her family, and that was time something she could not have possibly done before she had a transcatheter valve procedure. Wow, that's great! And uh, folks, you're listening to this. I mean, this is a you know we're taking a glimpse into history where the valve started, and and then really Stan's sharing some great advice with us. Peel back that criticism, turn it into a problem to solve. Don't be afraid of it. I think if you're brave enough and thoughtful enough to do that, what what ensues could be the future of of healthcare. And so great message here from Stan. What would you say is the most exciting thing you're working on today? You probably can't tell me, can you? (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but uh, again, that's probably one of our big benefits is that we can keep things quiet. Yep. But you know, we, we are plotting a couple of big revolutions, and uh, I'm really, really excited about it. I, 
couldn't be having more fun in my quote unquote retirement. My wife just laughs when I call it retirement. <laughs> but, uh, I bet. Does she think you're crazy? No, she knows I'm passionate. About she knows what you're passionate. I do. Right? <laughs> yeah. She knows that she knows this is what keeps you going. That's right. That's yeah. right. And she's been amazingly supportive through the years to do that. It, God uh, bless her. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, well, thank you for your support, Miss Rowe. Uh, <laughs> I think many more things to come here. And so uh, getting to the lightning round here, Stan, we got a couple questions followed by sure. a favorite book. You ready? Okay. Yeah. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? You know, from my perspective, it's uh, take on the big, tough problems. Uh, and there's only very, very limited room for incremental development. It's not much fun. And I don't find it very rewarding. We've got to take on the big things. I agree. That's great. And uh, what's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? You know, I would say I, I think of two things. One is assemble a first-class team. Get the very, very best people. Because you can't afford not to have them. But be very cognizant about the the culture of that team. In other words, you can have bright people that are disruptive. You've got to have a cohesive team with a great culture. Now, I would say the second thing is don't overpromise. Uh, I think you have to have very realistic plans. And if you overpromise and create this idea, I'm going to solve this problem next year, and you don't, you can suffer the consequences of that in a startup. And I see a lot of people with long bridge rounds that uh, it's really bad for them. How do you stay relevant? despite constant change lead the change love it and uh what would you say is an area of focus that drives everything at nxt i think it's this uh concept of open creative debate and creating that environment where we can all turn around and bounce ideas off one another in a very collaborative fashion it definitely changes the way we operate powerful and what, what about your book, Stan? What, what, what book would you recommend to the listeners? So one of the books that I, I'd like to read, uh, I um, have read these very dense books by Stephen Jay Gould, who's a biological anthropologist. He's huh. dead now. He was the top professor at Harvard for decades. Right? Um, and uh, he wrote a book that um, kind of surprised me because I didn't, you know, most of this is about a Darwinian process that mm -hmm. we've lived through. But he wrote this book called The Mismeasure of Man. Okay. That was a really interesting book about bias in science. And it was a wonderful reminder of how important objectivity is in what we do every day. It's a great message. Great. And give me the name of the book again, Stan. The Mismeasure of Man. The Mismeasure of Man by Gould. Yeah, Stephen J. Gould. Awesome recommendation. Folks, as you know, you could find all of the resources discussed here, including that book, a full transcript, links to NXT and the work that stands up to. Just go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in NXT. You'll find that there. Stan, you know, we're getting close to the end here, but I am curious, what would you say? the role AI has in med device innovation today? So I think, you know, AI is taking big data and sorting through it in ways that 
show us patterns and -hmm. provide information that we don't, it's impossible for our brains to process. Right. And so I think that in things like diagnostics and wearables, those kinds of things, it's going to have a big impact. I think, you know, the, the machine learning process says it could get better and better over time, which is important. I see it in that device, especially in this wearables revolution that we're going to Mm -hmm. send patients home with very small wearable devices where that transmit data and this data is going to be analyzed and fed back to probably nursing stations but the the analysis will go get back to our our medical professionals and tell us when we start moving off track and that'll be especially helpful in things like um, the, our chronic disease states, like heart failure, where there are you know, somewhere around 15 million patients around the world walking around with heart failure. Heart failure hospitalizations are the second leading cause of hospitalizations in the United States, second only to giving birth to babies. Mm-hmm. And if we can intervene early because we know what's going on at home, I think those are going to be really important benefits for the prevention of hospitalization and the optimization of of home care. So you're thinking mainly the impact will start in patient monitoring and diagnostics? Correct. Yeah. I think it's an interesting uh, interesting thought there and something for everybody to, to think about as uh, as this become this this use of AI becomes more real, something for everybody to walk away with. Uh, wow, Stan, this has been an incredible interview. Uh, just want to say thanks and and leave us with the closing thought. I'd love if you could just uh, give us something to think about as we walk away, and also the best place where the listeners could check you out and uh, continue the conversation. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, early stage product development is is messy. It's fraught with doing the wrong things, testing the wrong things, not understanding boundary conditions, learning a lot about pathology and anatomy, and sometimes asking questions no doctor knows. Mm-hmm. It's really tough, and there's no clear path many times. But what comes out of it is an opportunity to help tens and of thousands of patients. And it's daunting to me personally. I've worked on products that have been in literally millions of patients. And uh, at the end of the day, to know that you've done something to help needy patients and give them alternative therapies that maybe avoided surgeries or treated them when they otherwise couldn't be treated is a really great privilege to be able to stand up and say, this is what I do for a living as I help these patients. It's hard to call it work because it's a great privilege to do it. And that's why you're still doing it. That's right. I think it's great, Stan. And, and uh, appreciate that, that insight. And where can the listeners connect with you or learn more about the work that you're up to now? Yeah, you can connect with us. We have a website, www.nxtbiomedical.com. Thanks for the interest of the listeners. And Saul, thanks for the privilege of being on your, your podcast. Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you, Stan, and uh, wishing you guys luck here in the remaining four years. I have a feeling you guys are going to just do an incredible job and get those five to eight companies out um, 
So uh, kudos to you guys. And thanks again for, for your time. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.